Thank you for listening to this sermon from Renaissance Church located in Montreal, Quebec. For more information about Renaissance Church, please visit our website, renaissancemtl.com. If you would like to know more about how you can partner up to see the gospel advance in Montreal, please send us an email at renaissance.mtl at gmail.com. Glad to be with you guys here today. If you're new, just want to say welcome. Um, uh, and uh, yeah, we're glad to have you here today. Um, if you uh, want, at the end, uh, you can fill out a contact form. In the, if you scan the QR code, fill out a contact form. We'll follow up with you this week, and you can grab a, a mug. That's our gift to you. Um, as we begin, uh, I just want to say today is my deep desire that the gospel would be loudly proclaimed our hearts would genuinely praise our Lord and we would desperately see our need for a Savior and find our lives transformed by Jesus Christ. And I hope you will join me in that today. Before we, we kind of get into things, a couple of things I want to uh, just state to, to start off. Um, I want to just begin by taking a, a minute to acknowledge all of you. Um, this past week, there was a, a message that w- was sent out regarding Ore. Um, if you don't know him, Ore uh, is Dami's son. He su- suffers from sickle cell anemia. And during the week, he had a crisis and ended up in the hospital. Um, and so a, a message was sent out asking for your prayers for the situation. And uh, after that was sent out, I heard back from a lot of you and just expressing interest in providing for the family in in various different ways, whether that was financially or or making a meal or whatever that was. And so uh, I want to commend you all for for taking action when you saw a need. Um, This personally meant a lot for me as uh, we're just in this series in James, and and it focuses a lot on putting our faith into action, specifically when it is difficult. And so um, when there was a need, I I noticed that you guys stepped up, and, and I don't doubt that it was uh, difficult. Uh, maybe you didn't have like an item in your budget for that this year, or you didn't plan on making a, a, an extra meal this week, but you still provided trusting uh, in God who provides all things. So again, I want to commend you all for your actions this week, church. Um, we're going to get into our, our message uh, soon. Uh, one more quick thing. Uh, I do want to begin with a little bit of a warning. Today we're going to be addressing some content that may be difficult for some. Um, some of the language from our text today centers around the idea of being in an adulterous relationship. And we're not going to get into too much detail about anything like with, with any graphic nature or explicit content or anything like that. But the nature of the content, uh, it actually can, it can be rather heartbreaking and uncomfortable. Um, and I believe it is written this way on purpose to show us how heartbreaking our sin is to God. And so we're going to be discussing it as to remain true to God's word. But this is just a, a warning that the content today could be a bit upsetting. Um, I do hope that within that, we, we are, are able to see the abundant love that God has for us. So let me share a, a little bit of a story with you to, to begin. Um, so I, I know of, of a woman uh, who was caught up in an affair. Um, and she was married with kids. And she ended up having uh, a relationship with someone that she worked with. Uh, this went on for a few months. And, and eventually her husband found out. Um, and he pleaded for her to, to leave the other guy and to, to come back to, to the family. 
Um, they ended up uh, getting into, into counseling. Uh, however, the, the wife continued to pursue the affair at the expense of her family, and it ultimately destroyed their marriage. And so if you've ever witnessed uh, an adulterous relationship, you'll know it's one of the most heartbreaking things that you probably will ever see. Um, I know plenty of other stories like this, some with better endings and others not so much. But despite the outcome, it is always devastating when it happens. And I mention this as today we're talking about um, selfishness in our lives and how James likens it to spiritual adultery. So whether or not we've been involved in an extramarital affair, we likely have committed spiritual adultery by our selfish actions against God and the church. What we see, though, is that despite our unfaithfulness, God remains faithful. And he shows us grace upon grace, and he calls us to repent and to turn to him. And so we're going to be looking uh, at that a little bit more closely today from our text. Um, today we're continuing in our series in the book of James. Uh, we've titled this series, Faith in a Broken World. And what we're exploring throughout this series are practical ways that we as Christians can trust in God, even in the midst of difficulties and trials that we face. So how can we live out an authentic faith in Jesus while living in a broken world. Um, today, we, we've kind of reached the halfway point in our series. And so I'd love for us to, to reflect over the past few weeks and think, uh, how, how have I been challenged to live out my faith in difficult times? What has God been, been teaching me that I can put into action? How do I have a greater appreciation for Jesus because of this series. And I would encourage you to, to lean into those questions as we wrap up the second half of this series. I'm going to share a, a few main points for us today, and then we'll read our text. Um, so here's, here's uh, what I want us to see from our text today. The first thing I want us to see is that conflict stems from selfish hearts. Conflict stems from selfish hearts. Number two, selfishness is being unfaithful to God. Selfishness is being unfaithful to God. Number three, God gives grace to unfaithful people. God gives grace to unfaithful people. And number four, faithfulness to God results in repentance. Faithfulness to God results in repentance. Let's read our text for today. If you have a Bible, I would invite you to follow along. Um, today we're going to be in James chapter 4. James chapter 4 is where we're going to be, and we're going to read the, the first 10 verses. Here's what it says. It says, what, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made, dwell, uh, made to dwell in us? But... He gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. 
Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Let's pray and we will get into our text for today. God, we, we thank you for the privilege that it is to, to be here together as a church. Um, would we value one another as to not fight and quarrel with one another? Would we turn from selfishness and turn to you, God? Um, as we uh, reflect on the, the weightiness of this text, God, you compare it to an adulterous relationship. Would we see the weight of our sin, God, and would we turn to you? Would we repent from our sin and see that you are always faithful to us? Help us to, to continue to put our faith in you. Would you empower us by your spirit to do that? We love you, praise in Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're gonna dive right in here. The first thing I want us to see is that conflict stems from selfish hearts. Conflict stems from selfish hearts. Um, this chapter, it begins with James addressing conflicts within the church, right? He says, he starts off by saying, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? If we recall from previous chapters, the church was facing various struggles. They were experiencing class conflicts between the rich and the poor, as we read in chapter 2. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we also saw that in James chapter 3, there were some unqualified people who were desiring to be teachers in the church. And undoubtedly, that would have caused rifts within the church. These same people were blessing God with their speech, and yet they were also cursing others, right? And last week, Dylan preached for us that those seeking world, uh, about those who seek worldly wisdom. And in verse 16, it tells us that the church's bitter jealousy and selfish ambition resulted in disorder and every vile practice. And so as we've read throughout this series, there was a great deal of quarreling and fighting within the church. Uh, and it would be easy to read that first verse and hear James saying, hey, why are you guys fighting, right? Why all this conflict? And you might think that this chapter is about how to get along better as a church, right? How can we avoid conflict? And yet, James appears to have something deeper in mind here. James is getting to the root of a bigger issue. I'll read that again for us. James says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? So James is concerned with the cause of these conflicts. And we see that in how he responds throughout the rest of the chapter. He says, is it not that your passions are at war within you? He says, you desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. So what the root, what, what's the root of the problem here? Well, James says that the animosity towards believers stems from a selfish heart. Right? Passions that are, within, that are at war within you. Unhealthy desires that are not being fulfilled. Jealousy. It is, is the church saying, hey, I'm not getting what I want. So let me fight to get it, right? I will take others down to get what I want. You may recall from a couple weeks ago, we talked about the, the tongue, right? One of the main ideas was that what comes out of your mouth is actually a reflection of what is truly in your heart. How, how we speak reflects what is in our hearts. And it's the same thing here, right? James is saying how you behave 
is a reflection of what is in your heart. When you have conflict with one another, it may actually be a symptom of a selfish heart. So what does your relationship look like with members of this church? Right? Conflict ought to, to reveal to you something about your heart. Have you been upset with another member of the church over something that they've said or done? Are you upset that you're not getting your own way? Maybe the church isn't doing things the way you want or as fast as you want. Maybe that's something you can relate to. Or maybe that's not you. Maybe you're thinking, no, I'm pretty good. Like, I, I get along pretty well with, uh, with others at the church, actually. Uh, and to be honest, I, I often don't see too many conflicts within this, this uh, church between members here. Um, and that's a great thing. However, let us not think that we are too far removed from that. And let me ask us this. How about conflicts then within your home? Right? How, about, uh, how about fighting within your marriage? You have conflict with we, with your spouse, your, your husband, or your wife. They are the church too. I've heard it said before that conflict within a relationship shows that we still care. That's an interesting idea. Maybe that's true, but is it always that we care about the right thing? Or do we often care about having things our way? What about your family, your, your parents, your mom or your dad, your in-laws perhaps? Um, that might hit home for some of you. Conflict within the, the church reveals something about our heart. It's that often we have conflict because we have selfish motives. We're stubborn. We want things our way, and we're not willing to budge. If we look back at, at James, he focuses in on how the selfishness is playing out even in the relationship with God. He talks about selfishness within their prayer. He says, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. And we should be reminded that James, only a few uh, chapters ago, has told us that if we ask, we will receive. Specifically there, he talks about wisdom. But the point here is that the church's desires are for unwise things, things that are only for their benefit. So what he's saying is that they do not receive because they are asking wrongly. We have a God that, that gives generously, but he's, he's generous in ways that the world is not. God gives spiritually not to satisfy our human desires. God gives wisdom, not just our wants. He gives love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These ought to be what we ask for. These ought to be our true desires. But instead... What we want is what will satisfy our flesh. We say things like, God, give me a better job, or God, if I just had a little bit more money, I would be a little bit more generous. These are ways that we bring selfishness into our prayer life. Right? How often do we do this? Someone, someone wrongs you, and you pray, hey, God, would you just change them, make them more like Jesus? Church, pray for yourself. This may sound counterintuitive, but that would be the more selfless thing to do. Pray that God would change you. Don't just pray that God would change them so they're easier to love, right? Pray for yourself. Pray for love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control so that you can be more like Jesus even if they are not. Sometimes we ask and do not receive because we ask wrongly, because we have selfish motives, but ask in faith, and we have a generous God who loves to give according to his goodness. 
So point number one, conflict stems from selfish hearts. Point number two, selfishness is being unfaithful to God. James, he, here he gets into the, the severity of our sin next. Selfishness is not a, a victimless crime, but rather it shows our loyalty is not with God. And James here, he likens it to, to adultery. In verse 4, he says, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. I think we're starting to, to, to see here that this passage is less about fighting amongst the church and more about spiritual adultery, right? Even if we look at verses 7 to 10, notice the application isn't just, hey, stop fighting. It's return to God. So yes, the adultery manifests itself in fighting and quarrels, but that is just a symptom of a deeper cause. The heart of the issue is spiritual adultery. And you might be thinking, why, here, why compare it here to adultery, right? That seems a little bit extreme. Well, what is adultery after all? Uh, adultery is giving yourself to someone or something other than who you've already committed yourself to. Therefore, chasing after the pleasures of the world with no regard to God or to your Christian brother or sister seems to be an apt analogy. If you as a Christian claim to have committed to pursue the Lord and his ways, and yet at the same time seek to gratify your own selfish pleasures, you are engaged in spiritual adultery. Uh, adultery is perhaps the most stark example of selfishness. It ignores commitment to someone in favor of personal pleasure. And so James says that fighting within the church is just a manifestation of hearts set on self rather than on God. It is, is a betrayal of loyalty to God in order to satisfy our internal desires. Um, there's, there's a book in the Old Testament called Hosea. Uh, Hosea was a prophet in Israel in, between 755 and 710 BC. And Hosea, uh, he was given a bit of a, a, an unusual task by God. Uh, what he was told, he was told to, to marry a prostitute and to remain faithful to her. Right? His wife's name was Gomer and she was unfaithful to him. But Hosea was called by God to remain married to her. And God called him to do this as a picture to Israel of their relationship with him. In that day, the Israelites had been pursuing the gods of the people around them, and God had had enough. And so he uses this picture of Hosea and Gomer to, to show them their unfaithfulness to him. And what we see is that despite Israel's unfaithfulness, God remains faithful to them. Right? The, the book of Hosea shows God calling out an unfaithful nation and calling them to repentance, to return to God, the, the God who has remained faithful to them. And that's what we're seeing here in this section of James, right? God's people have ignored God. They've turned to their own ways. They dishonor the church for their own sake. They covet what others have. They mistreat the poor. They are disloyal to God, unfaithful. By their actions, they prove that they are not followers of God. Rather, they are lovers of self. And so just as in Hosea, God's people here are called out. They're shown their spiritual adultery. But they are also shown a faithful God, and they are called to repentance to return to him. 
And so we see that selfishness is being unfaithful to God. And yet what we see next is that God gives grace to unfaithful people. So despite our unfaithfulness, God remains faithful. This is the story of the Bible. God loving a people that continue to turn from him. The, the opening pages of the Bible describes an adulterous relationship with the first two human beings and God. They befriend the enemy of God in the garden. They listen to his words rather than God. When he promises that they will be like God if they listen to him, they selfishly obey, proving their disloyalty to God. They commit spiritual adultery against God. And the ev- inevitable result is that it causes quarreling and fighting against one another and disunity with God. And yet all throughout Scripture, God continues to give grace to undeserved people. He continues to call his people back to him. When the Israelites worship the idols and the gods of the people around them, God is patient, longing them to return, calling them to repentance and faith in him. In every covenant he has made, God has been the only one who has stuck with his end of the bargain, right? Adam failed, God was faithful. Noah failed, God was faithful. Abraham failed, God was faithful. The Israelites failed, God was faithful. David failed, God was faithful. You and I have failed, God is faithful. The Bible isn't a story about good people that we should emulate. It is a story about a good God who is faithful even when his people are not. It is about a God that keeps his word despite his people rejecting and betraying him. And we see this ultimately in the life of Jesus. Jesus selflessly left his throne and came to earth to submit to the Father's will. He came to a people who he knew would reject him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Jesus came to adulterous people. And those people would rather quarrel with him in the streets as the Pharisees did. They would rather cause fights with him. In fact, they would rather have him murdered. And they did. Jesus came to people who he knew would reject him and would nail him to the cross. And yet he did it anyway because he is faithful. Because in doing so, he accomplished the Father's will, the forgiveness of sins for all who believe in him, even the adulteress. And to all who receive him, who believe in his name, he calls back into a loving relationship with him because Jesus gives more grace. This is what James tells us, verse 6, but he gives more grace. There's one word, key word that I want us to notice here, the word more There is always more. There is more because God is faithful. There is more because your right standing with God is not determined by your goodness, but by the righteousness of God. Your forgiveness was bought by an infinite God. Your sins, past, present, and future, have been paid for. In our covenant relationship with God, we see that as humans, Uh, we, we see that we as humans continuously fail to live up to our end of the deal. And yet God always stays faithful to his end. There is more grace because God remains faithful to unfaithful people. There is one stipulation for this grace, though. It says God opposes the, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. 
So this requires humility. God gives grace to unfaithful people if they will humble themselves. And this leads us to our final point. Faithfulness to God results in repentance. We cannot continue in sin and continue to expect the grace of God. Romans 6 says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? It says, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Grace comes to those who will humble themselves and return to God. James says, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. If you want uh, uh, to put verse 9 up on the screen for a minute, um, I want to just clarify one thing for us. Um, God here is not calling us to, to misery. Right? He's not calling us to a life full of sorrow. He's calling us to lament over our sin as he does. Right? An adulterer who does not mourn over their sin is not truly repentant. Um, if you remember the, the story from the beginning of the woman I know in an adulterous relationship, um, I remember as, she, as her and her husband were trying to, to reconcile that she insisted on maintaining friendship with the other man. She was willing to admit that what she had done was wrong, but she was not willing to end her relationship altogether. You can see how that would be problematic. There is pride there, not humility. That is not true repentance. But the one who returns to God is wrecked over their sin. They do not continue to return to it. Proverbs 26 says, like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool that repeats his folly. And Peter quotes the same verse in relation to adultery. And so true faith in God results in repentance and praise be to God. If his spirit lives in us, we will repent. We will turn from our selfish ways and return to God. Verse 10 says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. If you will return to him, he will exalt you. He will lift you up you don't have to come to God with it all together. In fact, the opposite. You must come humbly needing him, needing Jesus. And if you do, he will lift you up. By his power, you can become more like Jesus, resisting selfishness, fighting against spiritual adultery. He will make you love the things that he loves. That is what a relationship with Jesus looks like. Not bickering and fighting, insisting on our own way, but loving his ways because he has changed our hearts. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And God will do that for you if you will leave your adulterous relationship of, of pursuing the passions of your flesh and humbly return to him. Because we have a God who is faithful and loves his people. Thank you for listening to the sermon from Renaissance Church. If you have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more, please feel free to contact us by email at renaissance.mtl.gmail.com or reach out to us on social media. It's our passion to love Jesus, love each other, and love our world.